Hi, I'm Marlon Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland. Today, I have a couple more call-ins from some of the, the regular crew. And um, I've also, I um, one of the call-ins is going to lead into the sort of meat of the episode, which is about what my, the kind of comparison between my expectations and what uh, actually playing with my family has shown in the sort of experiment of doing that to be um, where my expectations were correct and where they aren't about playing RPGs with them. So yeah, let's get into it. Hey, Arlen, Jason here. Just want to let you know, I'm finally caught up on your back catalog. I bought the Gallant and Bold based on your recommendation. I haven't looked at it yet, but I will. Sounds interesting. Um, gadget, you need your collar. Sorry, I got distracted. Doing the morning ritual with the dogs. Anyway, just want to let you know I was caught up. I enjoyed the last few episodes. I enjoy your book reviews. They give me something interesting to look for and to research. And um, yeah, anyway, just enjoying the show. I will talk to you soon. Hey, Arlen, Jason here. Haven't had a chance to listen to your latest episode yet. I will do so shortly. But I wanted to let you know that I kind of been. Th- oh, I read Death of the Author, and yeah. I, I definitely see that point, the idea that ultimately what that work is going to mean is going to vary from, you know, reader to reader, and my interpretation of work is going to be on my experiences, not necessarily on Arlen's experiences, so I get that. Um, although, you know, when you look at it that way, it makes it a little bit tough to, you can have discussions about things, but it, you, you know, if we come at things different ways, you have to have an open mind and be able to discuss things with an open mind, which seems difficult in today's society for some reason. Um, also want to let you know that I've gone all in on Pendragon. I ordered the book, the 5.2 book and gotten all the stuff for the great Pendragon campaign. I'm going to start, I'm going to read up Mallory and whatnot and then dive in solo. All right. Once again, great to hear from you, Jason. It's uh, always a pleasure to have call-ins from you to respond to. Um, wow, you got through the back catalog really fast. Um, I hope that my kind of droning monotone voice didn't uh, make it difficult to listen to all of that. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, um, it's great to have you as a, a listener and a regular caller. Um, in terms of death of the author, yeah, I think there's there's a fair bit to be said for that uh, idea that um, the the different stuff, and then there's also um, a fair few kind of segments of literary theory as a, a a sort of family tree of ideas that are dependent on or related to death of the author. So that's kind of another thing to to think about is that there's some other stuff related to it uh, a lot of for instance uh structuralist and post-structuralist ideas are sort of related to that um pendragon awesome to hear that you have gone all in on pendragon i i too i have pendragon 5.2 and actually 5.1 uh, i've got a hard copy of 5.1 from uh a while ago and the great Pendragon campaign and paladin and paladin adventures um all really you know gorgeous books very cool stuff um great games just all around they're really 
well playable and and I think really well built for uh, solo adventures in a lot of ways um, because of a number of things. But especially, I think that the the traits system and the passions system is really really clever and it works great for having a strong sense of your character's actual character as a as a person um which i think is great for solo role playing because that can be it can be easy to sort of fall into the the easy habits i think um especially when you're solo and you don't have some of the the sort of crutches that we use to avoid those things in uh group play like kind of, I think, you know, describing your actions and being diligent about describing things helps in, in solo play to avoid falling into some of the kind of common traps. Um, but then I, I think having that structure, that's a good way to say like, oh, I can just, you know, test Valorous if I think my my knight, my character might just charge in or is he not going to, all that sort of stuff, so... Yeah, Pendragon, great game. Um, really cool. Glad to hear that I uh, turned you on to that one. So, yeah. Oh, and Gallant and Bold, quality game too. Great artwork. Um, interesting stuff in that game. Uh, it's probably the sort of thing that I don't know that I would run a uh, long-term campaign with it, but I'd probably mine it for ideas more than anything else um, or use it as the core and use like bestiaries from other OSR games as the, the kind of um, fill it out and all that sort of stuff. Cause it's broadly compatible with a lot of kind of OSR stuff. So yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Glad to hear you have been enjoying the stuff I've been putting out and that it's getting you excited to play games. Hello, Arlen. How you doing? I just wanted to applaud you on your episode recounting your exploits of family gaming. I think you, you hit on some of the kind of key issues that folks might run into. Um complexity of systems and, and um, players maybe not fully understanding their characters etc was really pleased also to hear you talking about Beyond the Wall uh, I, I felt there were some great ideas in that game and maybe it seems to have gone under the radar a, a little bit in particular some of those resources you talked about the, the sort of almost playbooks that you have and, and the workbooks for the adventures and uh, the the whole tone of it I, I think would work really well with my kids take care mate i'll catch you later all right so first off big thanks to colin green spike pit for uh calling in leaving a call in it's uh great to hear from you man we get to play together every two weeks or so but you know that's that's not enough man it's it's great to hear from you um beyond the wall yeah it's a it's a really quality game i think it probably gets overlooked a little bit um just because it's kind of it's a little bit uh simpler 
than some of the OSR games. Certainly it's simpler than the AD&D 2E game that um, we're playing on the Dungeon Musings crew um, on Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, but yeah, I think there's some of it is simplicity. I think also some of it is the sort of tone that uh, the tone, I really like it. And I think it um, is really interesting, this kind of slightly whimsical, a little more fairy tale esque uh, tone than sort of traditional, like large developed world fantasy type stuff that uh, has a more kind of like not necessarily gritty, but a, a there's a particular tone to a like to a very developed fairy fantasy world that doesn't seem to have as much room for kind of like exploration and discovery, I think. And that's one of the big things in Beyond the Wall is that it's supposed to be kind of collective discovery of all of this stuff on some level and that that's really cool. Um, yeah, Beyond the Wall, it's a, it's a quality system. It has worked remarkably well for, for my group. Um, some of the stuff that we played hasn't worked as well. So I'm going to talk, I'm going to pause the recording here and then I'm going to talk about the kind of what, uh, my original ideas were and then what kind of has and hasn't been held up by those ideas in terms of, um, actually playing with my family. So... In terms of playing with my family, um, one of the big things that I identified for introducing new people to RPGs is the idea of having a um, simple and consistent core mechanic to a game without a whole lot of exceptions. Um, I think that definitely holds up. Um, there's also a measure of something that I don't think I talked about as much in that episode that you don't just want a sort of simple core mechanic, but you don't want too many um, versions of it, I suppose might be the, the way to put it. Um, similar to the idea of not so many exceptions is I think the idea that um, for instance, something like the one ring, which has a pretty strong core mechanic, but it has a really long skill list, I think wouldn't work for this group that well because they have to kind of think about, think a lot more about which skill they're actually trying to use and um, wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to engage with or wouldn't choose to engage with the, the real depth that's available for that um, skill list. So that's sort of a consideration. Another thing, um, we tried fifth edition, um, the Star Wars hack for it. I don't think that um, worked that well. And there are a couple of reasons for that. I think one of the big ones is actually, it sort of goes back to that um, less exceptions thing, that in some ways, a lot of the kind of special powers that uh, the, the characters get are ways to make exceptions to the rules. And the, the players didn't really have a strong grasp of like what those exceptions meant and when they could do them. So like the, uh, 
the the fighter i don't remember if the fighter is renamed or not but the fighter has a um standard much like uh the the regular fifth edition fighter has an ability that they can once per short or long rest do uh two attacks in a single main action um Which is is cool. It's a it's a neat power. Adds uh, a way to do kind of like a special a special turn, an extra high damage turn. Um, even after I told the the players about that ability several times, I still had to remind them that it was kind of like an available option at times, um, and they didn't seem to have a strong understanding of when. They could or couldn't use it, essentially. Like, the idea was they, they didn't really get the idea that this was a, a something that they got one use of per short or long rest. And part of that is on me. I think they would have understood a little better if they had built their own characters and made some of the decisions and read through the rule book in terms of um, what their character could actually do. At the same time... That's a lot of uh, a lot of work for them, and a lot of stuff that they're not as accustomed to, and especially decisions that they don't really know how to make. Um, so I think it was it was the right thing to do to build the characters for them. It just meant that they didn't know their characters' abilities that well. Um, Beyond the Wall has worked really well, despite not entirely having a sort of core mechanic it in some ways has three mechanics but one of the reasons that it has worked well i think is because the character sheet on roll 20 is really good and it just has roll buttons for everything so instead of having to um to know what the core mechanic actually is the, the players can just say, well, I want to attack, and then click the roll button next to the attack. Um, that's uh, That's been, been really helpful for them for understanding what they can do and what they can't do. They don't have a great understanding of what's going to be the most effective or not, necessarily. Like my mom, for instance, she said, well, I have a dagger, so I guess I have to attack with that at one point. And I had to remind her, well, you have spells, too, so maybe one of the spells could do something. And she was sort of like, oh, let's check the spell list to see what spells I have. She's playing a, a mage, so... Um, that, that was a little bit kind of like, you know, you have more options than just attacking with the dagger, even though attacking with the dagger is listed prominently on the character sheet. So even with something like Beyond the Wall, there's still some, uh, learning to do in terms of the game. Um, and then one of the other things I didn't, I don't think I mentioned it in the, uh, actual original episode, but, um, in Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering by Robin Laws, one of the things he says is that a successful, a fun game is about 70% on the GM and the players at the table and only about 30% on the rules. And I think that's a really good um, way to think about it. I don't know if that number is necessarily right because I think it sort of depends on the uh, the particular rules and the particular um, 
nature of the players that, you know, more mechanically minded players are going to get more out of more mechanically minded rules. And therefore the rules will have a greater influence on the, the fun at the table. It seems to me, but yeah, thinking about it in those terms, I think, um, one of the reasons beyond the wall has worked really well is something that I was reminded of in the, uh, true fan game that I ran, which is you can have a whole lot of fun, with fairly free-form role-playing without a lot of dice rolling, um, and especially solving problems with kind of free-form role-playing without a lot of dice rolling is satisfying. and It's fun. Um, and you can totally do that. It doesn't, doesn't make for a um, loss of a session at all. It's, it's fun. Um, and so beyond the wall, I have tried to kind of emphasize that as sort of like, yeah, talk to things and kind of like figure out and it, try to do your best to engage with the, uh, the world and interrogate the world and ask questions about it. And we'll do a lot of talking and a lot of discussing as opposed to necessarily just run in and say, oh, well, I have a plus one magic sword, so I'm going to try to hit this thing with my magic sword. Um, engage with the fiction more and it will be more rewarding and that is something that i think it can be easy to lose sight of it's kind of missing the forest for the trees but yeah engaging with the fiction is a big part of the fun of role playing and i think beyond the wall is really good for that um i think hero quest was pretty good for that i don't think hero quest was quite as good for that in some ways as beyond the wall is but i think some of that is on me that I didn't hero quest has some more rules that I didn't really get into in terms of explaining them to the, the players and all that sort of stuff. Like the way that injury works in, in hero quest. If you fail a test, you um, get injured or harmed or something like that. And that reduces your ability to use the particular tag that you used on that test. Um, which is an interesting system to represent. Like it represents both. Like if your tag is sort of your charisma, it represents you kind of not being able to solve problems with the charisma for a while. Cause maybe the community is a little turned against you. Maybe you tried to convince somebody to do something and you couldn't do it. And now you're kind of feeling like you're in a slump, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, there were some rules that I didn't that I think would have helped kind of integrate the mechanics and the fiction better in Hero Quest um, Beyond the Wall. Now that we have played a number of games, Beyond the Wall I think was uh, a good choice. It has a just a little bit of mechanical complexity, but um, yeah, I think one of the big one of the big things about why Beyond the Wall has worked has been remembering that you know the the talky talky role play stuff that's sort of what we're here for and that's fun um and that we'll do that instead of like you know carving through bad guys uh in big combat scenes or anything like that because that was sort of the other problem with the 5e star wars game is that i had imagined it as a fairly kind of military game with these commandos going in behind enemy lines and cutting down hordes of battle droids and things like that. And that, uh, 
that didn't have a whole lot to do that wasn't in combat. So, anyway, yeah, that's sort of my, some more thoughts on the family game. All right, so I thought I would do another short segment, hopefully short, um, segment about some of the games that I have been looking at, thinking about, thinking about running, maybe even playing, but running seems more likely. Um, so yeah, let me talk about that. So the first one up is we played Trudevang Chronicles last Saturday, almost a week ago now, and it was a lot of fun. We did not have any combat, so one of the things I'm thinking about doing, one of the players actually suggested that you could just do like a, a skirmish, essentially. Um, a little bit of role-playing at the beginning and the end, but mostly just a, a kind of combat-heavy scenario um, with the combat rules to test them out. So I think I'm going to do that. I don't know when I'm going to do that because I want to make sure that the guys who played in my um, Trudevang Chronicles main session will be able to make it if they are interested in making it for that. Um, so I haven't scheduled that at all, but that's, uh, I think, a pretty firm idea for um, what I want to do. Um, so there's some other stuff. Uh, Swords Without Master, which is a sort of mini game within Worlds Without Master, Volume 1, Issue 3, which is a really interesting, um, it's a game where you don't roll dice for success or failure or anything like that. You roll dice to determine what the flavor of your narration is supposed to be. And, um... It's basically just back and forth narrating between the GM and the players with some structure to like what each scene represents within the story, what what it kind of is the scenes thrust within the story. And therefore, there's certain special uh, there's rules for who gets to narrate when based on that, essentially. Um, but it seems like it would be really interesting, especially to play with some of the, the, the really creative, great role players that I, uh, play with regularly. So seems like that would be a lot of fun. Um, the various riddle of steel likes having gone over all of them again. Um, I think that I might be most not necessarily most interested, but I think it might be the best solution to run um, Sword and Scoundrel, even though that one isn't finished and it's got some kind of uh, stuff. There's some work that I would have to do to get it ready for play. I think it would be um, probably the best as much as anything, just because it is the, the simplest mechanically and therefore that, that seems like that's probably a pretty big uh, bonus for learning a pretty complicated system, um, especially the the more complex kind of combat game. Seems like it would be a good idea to have a relatively simple 
um, core system built around that in terms of getting players to play. So I'm already sort of coming up with, I'm trying to figure out how to do it as a one shot, how to get the feel of the, what the game is going for this kind of sense of characters with, with strong beliefs who will fight for those beliefs and all that sort of stuff. How do you bring that into a one shot? And I've actually been rereading, um, Ron Edwards Sorcerer and the supplement Sorcerer and Sword, which uh, you know is a, a quality, um, or I think it's it's interesting at least to read. Um, there's apparently mixed opinions about it on the internet, um, but I think that it has some good guidelines for the idea that know what you want in the game is you know put forward difficult choices for the players, make them have to kind of confront their characters, beliefs and ideals and all of that sort of stuff. So I think there's some good stuff there that'll help me design a quality one shot for sword and scoundrel. Um, icons. I really want to run a game of icons at some point. Um, I have run it before. It's a really fun game. Uh, we, as players, we could totally do in, you know, a three or four hour session, do character creation at the start at the table together and create some wacky superheroes and then just go at it and go through a interesting storyline. Um, not necessarily have to turn into a long campaign, but just have a, a fun, wacky superhero one shot. Um, I'm looking through the stuff that I have open on my PDF reader, and I don't have a lot of other stuff. I have Jaws of the Six Serpents, which um, I haven't ever, um, I haven't ever played the PDQ system at all. So I think it would be uh, an interesting thing to to try that out. And it's another sword and sorcery game with a sort of classic sword and sorcery world. Um, Fate. I, I have played icons. I've run icons before, so I know about icons. Um, icons sort of in some ways is like a superhero version of fate, or it has some kind of connection with fate as a system. Um, but I'd like to try out uh, fate itself especially maybe in the accelerated version more so than the regular version. I don't know if accelerated or regular is necessarily what um, I want to, to try. It kind of feels like accelerated might be a, an easier way to kind of get into the system and try it out without having to worry as much about kind of like, you know, skill distribution and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know. Um, but I've got that that I've been looking at. Um, yeah, I think that is, that's probably everything for right now. Um, yeah, some ideas. If you have any ideas about getting those games to the table, about um, how to get those games to the table, if you are interested in playing in any of those games, uh, call in and let me know or hit me up on Discord or Twitter or something like that. Um, yeah, it'd be great to have people who are interested in playing those games 
as well as me interested in running them. Um, so yeah, that's sort of my, what I'm thinking about uh, going forward in the, the kind of mid-range future, you know, a couple of months worth of, probably not a couple months, more like two months of uh, running games for my buddies online. All right. I think that is going to do it for this episode. Um, yeah. I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.